want to invite you to open up to the book of Galatians, if you're in the Blue Pew Bible. I think it's on page 974. Page 974. Book of Galatians will be in chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. So chapter 4 of Galatians, verse 21. In this passage that we're going to be looking at today, Paul is continuing to emphasize, uh, as he has been doing, this great difference between being a child of God on the one hand and then one who is yoked to the law and to sin and to, to false gods on the other hand. And Paul knows that the word freedom. I mean, just when we hear that word, that it serves as a great uh, draw to us. It did in this day, and it does today. I mean, you can just think of yourself when you hear that word freedom. Uh, it has that ring in our ears, and it should, because we've been made to be a people who are free, rightly understood. Uh, we've been made by God for freedom. And so, so Paul's going to go in this passage we're looking at this morning, he's going to go to the Old Testament, and he, he's going to go there in order uh, to try to get us to see what it looks like to live as one who is truly free in Christ versus living as one who is day after day, under the yoke of slavery. He, he needs to create that picture in our minds uh, because he knows that if we have tasted Christ, if we have seen something of the freedom that we can have in Christ, then we should say, why would I ever want to go back to the law to a place of being under the thumb of the law. And that's, of course, what he's dealing with here in, in the book of Galatians. Now, I'll just say as we turn to this passage that we are this morning, it's not an easy passage. Uh, it calls for us to know uh, several aspects of, of the Old Testament, a little bit of which we read earlier. That's why I wanted to refresh our minds. Um, but also other uh, aspects uh, of the Old Testament, the covenants, and uh, a number of things there. And this can get kind of uh, a little bit complex. But having said that, there is a sense in which this passage, I think, is very straightforward. And I, I wanted to emphasize that simplicity there and, and center us upon that as we walk through that. And that's why I don't usually do this, but you may have noticed on the back of, uh, of the bulletin that there are some notes there. You may have thought, well, I, I just accidentally included some of my notes uh, on the back uh, there, but I didn't. That's actually our passage, and it's diagrammed to help to, to walk us through this because I wanted us to be able to look at the passage and, and visually and clearly uh, be able to see the, the primary point that uh, Paul is making here as he contrasts 
two different, I'm just going to call them two different world orders. Or you could say two completely different ways of, of living. Uh, and so in this diagram, on the left side, the red, is one way of living life. And on the, the other side, the green, is a totally different way of living. And that's what Paul is focusing upon. He's going to give us different characteristics of each. He's going to emphasize as he goes along who Christians really are. What does it mean to really be a Christian and how they are completely different. Uh, but he'll do that through these uh, this uh, Old Testament uh, passages. So as I read this passage, you can read it directly from the, the diagram. You can read it from the Bible, but I will periodically reference the diagram, especially the colors there. The, the, the blue, I'm sorry, not the blue, there's no blue on there, but the green and the red so that we can uh, see our way through this. Uh, so again, Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Paul says this, 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers... We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let me say a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you that we can know that your word is true and that it is given to build us up, to instruct us, to direct us on the right path. And so knowing that, Lord, we ask for your help this morning. Uh, we know that there are, some, there are some difficult matters, challenging matters here to work through and, and to seek to understand. We pray that you would uh, take those and, and make them plain, make them clear before our eyes, uh, that your Spirit would give us the eyes that we need to see spiritually and to understand, and therefore uh, to take this passage and to apply it to our own lives. 
and uh, to benefit, to glorify you in a greater way as a result. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. If you hear the word transformation, what pops into your mind? I always hesitate to ask that question uh, with most of us men because often we'll answer and say, there's nothing that pops into my mind. The, the women just naturally uh, seem to have uh, an image that's, that's there. But I'll, I'll tell you, for some people, with this question, it may be something like uh, Clark Kent, who changes from an average Joe into Superman. Transformation. But for whatever reason, whenever I think about this word, the image that always seems to pop into my mind, uh, there were a, a couple of us men that were gathered earlier this week and we were talking about this, uh, what pops into my mind is that of a butterfly. Think about what happens with a butterfly. Now, for those of us who, it's been a long time since elementary school, I need to refresh your memories as to the process that occurs, uh, it begins with an egg. Uh, and for a, a, a monarch, it's an egg about the size of the, the head of a pin. Uh, and then that becomes a tiny caterpillar, not much larger than that. Uh, and as a caterpillar, it can't move fast, it can't move far, but it can do one thing and it can do it well. Uh, for anybody here that has read to their, their kids that, that book that we've read many, many times, years back, uh, but The Very Hungry Caterpillar, if you're familiar with that, uh, that, that book states it well. The job of the caterpillar is to eat, and uh, sometimes it, it can grow up to 100 times uh, its size as it eats, uh, and that's really its, its task, but there's no real transformation that takes place. Uh, it's just growing. Then it begins at some point to form an encasement around itself that's called a chrysalis, uh, in which it stays sometimes for up to several weeks. But then when it emerges from that chrysalis, uh, a transformation has taken place. It's got a completely different appearance. Uh, before, with a caterpillar, it's got stu short, stubby legs. You know what they look like, and, and small eyes and, and short little antenna. Uh, but a butterfly has long legs, long antenna, and beautiful, large wings. Its purpose is completely different. Butterflies don't eat very much. They go from having a purpose of eating to now traveling long distances often to mate and to lay eggs. Uh, and, and before you think about the caterpillar, it may spend the entire day on one or two plants, all located in one spot. But now with a butterfly, uh, it travels sometimes across a continent up to 2,500 miles. Uh, they have, with monarchs, they've been recorded uh, as flying. Think about that change between the two. Think about the word freedom 
with the butterfly versus what it was before with a caterpillar. That is transformation. The word that's used there is metamorphosis. And there is a linkage between the two because it's the caterpillar that turns into the butterfly. They're one creature, I think it's in the insect family, but yet there's a sense in which it's completely new. A butterfly, in a sense, is not at all a caterpillar. You know, I think that prepares us for what Paul is saying here. Paul had traveled to many different locations within this larger region called Galatia in Asia Minor, and he went amongst the people. Uh, many of the people, when he saw them, when he went amongst them, they were worldly. They worshipped idols. They lived in sin. Uh, they had no knowledge of the one true God, many of them. Uh, and so Paul came, and he preached Christ to them. And he spoke of Christ's death and his resurrection. And they said what they needed, what this people needed so desperately, was forgiveness of their sins. And that in Christ, if they trusted in him by faith, they would have full and complete forgiveness of their sins and reconciliation with God. And they would live, therefore, with Him forever. And Paul would have told them, He's loved you in this way. So turn to Him and trust in Him. You see the comparison there? You know, Paul's preaching acted a bit like a, a chrysalis. Because what emerged on the other side was a people whom God had transformed. They were nothing, at least in a sense, they were nothing like they had been before. Uh, their experience of life would have been completely different. They would have seen things differently. They would have wanted done to want different things completely. At least at first. Think for a moment if we could see through the eyes of, of a butterfly. And we could see that change that occurs when it goes from being a caterpillar locked into one spot to a butterfly that's uh, able to move all over the place and looks completely different. Well, the Galatians, perhaps like some of us, seem to have failed to fully grasp what had happened to them. And that God had transformed them. Uh, you know, we are forgetful people. Uh, and the change that we undergo is not a physical change. It's not on the outside. But it's on the inside. And so when teachers came amongst these people who were, at least they seemed to be correcting Paul's teaching of the Gospel... It seemed perhaps almost natural to them to follow what they were teaching. I mean, after all, you think about it, uh, to be received by God by faith, by faith alone, not doing anything, seems to be a little more comfortable to be able to, to look to certain things that we are able to do uh, in order to make sure that we're a good Christian. And so there was circumcision. There, was, there were certain foods that they were taught that they, they needed to eat and others they needed to stay away from. 
uh, religious holidays, they needed to uh, celebrate a certain way in order to be good Christians, uh, right with God and right with fellow man. I wonder if that sounds at all familiar to you. Do you ever feel like you've got to do certain things, you've got to act in a certain way in order to be a good Christian? Maybe you've even used that phrase that so many people seem to think is in the Bible. God helps them who help themselves. Right? There's this, this combination uh, before God that, that occurs, and so uh, you've got to help yourself also. Uh, there's sort of a, a pulling up of the bootstraps. You know, it's easy. It's easy for us to fall into that kind of thinking, especially when we fail to recognize what God has done when He comes in and He transforms a person. That a Christian is one whom God has transformed. And it's all of God. And it's all been done. There's nothing that we can do, no human effort that we can provide, that we can contribute uh, in order to make ourselves more acceptable. And Paul has been saying all the way through here that to return to doing that would be almost like, if you can think of the butterfly deciding that it wants to rid itself of its wings and, and, and turn back into a caterpillar to where it's restricted one spot of the ground and its freedom is removed. It's something that it really doesn't make sense. And you can hear in, right at the beginning of this passage, verse 21, you can hear in the sarcasm in Paul's voice that, that sense that this doesn't make sense. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, he's talking about the, the Mosaic law, do you not listen to the law? Now that second word, when, when he uses the word law, it's being, being used in a different way. He's speaking about Scripture. Do, do you not listen to Scripture, and then he proceeds for the next ten verses to use Scripture to compare these two paths, the one that you see, the ones that you see diagrammed out here. And here's his message: that true freedom comes to those who are born of God's Spirit, who have been transformed by the Spirit. That is the path of freedom. That's the green and not through human effort. That's the red. It's Paul's message all the way through. True freedom comes to those who have been transformed by the Spirit, not through human effort. Now, Paul is going to, to bring this to us out of the Old Testament in a certain, a particular way. It, it appears because he wants to address the wrong teaching of these false teachers. And they would have gone to certain passages, the same ones that... Paul is using here. And so first, Paul is going to go back to that historical situation that we read about earlier out of, uh, out of the first few chapters of uh, Genesis. And he's going to speak about Abraham and his sons. And in there, he's going to, he's going to call us to depend upon God's promise. As a part of that green path, He's going to say, what, what you must do is depend upon the promise of God. And so he uses this historical event 
to show the difference between, on the one hand, trusting in the promises of God, which requires faith, and on the other hand, trusting in your own natural ways, your own abilities, your own means that we are want to go back to again and again. And so Paul starts off here with a, a brief summary, verse 22. He says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons. And now here we go with the two paths. One by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now think back. Early Genesis, Genesis 12, 15, and on from there, Abraham had a promise from the Lord God. The Lord promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, and he puts it in many different ways. He said, uh, uh, through your offspring will come people more numerous than the sands of the seashore, than the stars in the sky. And so this is through Abraham and through his offspring, but there was a problem. Abraham had no children, and he was old, and his wife Sarah was older, and she was barren. All those years had tried to have children. And she was unable, but by this time she was almost in her 90s. Abraham was older than that. Uh, And yet, Abraham trusted in the Lord. We see that by this point, Abraham had trusted in the Lord. He he was a believer. He had started down that path. Uh, And yet, he was still trying to figure out, how do I make this work? The promise of God, but it seems to be impossible. And so, Genesis chapter 15, Abraham figured that his, his servant, Eliezer of Damascus, would be his heir. This must be what God meant, but then God told him, no, it's not. This child who is to be yours, this offspring, will come through your very own loins. And so Sarah also was trying to figure this out, and she became frustrated, perhaps more so than than Abraham. I mean, this was supposed to come through her. And so uh, as we, I don't, actually we didn't read this earlier. This is uh, Genesis 16, the first couple of verses there. It says uh, that Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So she said, go into my servant. She was talking about Hagar. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Now notice what Sarah is saying here. Maybe this is what God meant. Maybe this is his plan, his his promise. We just had to figure it out. So what do you think? Was that... God's plan? Was that really what he, he had planned all along, that Abraham uh, would have this child, but it would be through, not through his wife, but through another woman that he would need to impregnate? Was this trusting in God's promise, or was this taking it into your own hands? Now, it's easy for us to make that call. 
standing here. Yet I'd ask, how prone are we to making the same type of decision? You know, we often think, well, God wouldn't call me to do anything unreasonable. It would have to be something that would be within my means, right? He wouldn't call us to do something that's, that's impossible, at least evidently so. Now, that's where Abraham and Sarah were. They had tried for years and years. Sarah was barren. She was unable to have children. Besides that, at this point, they were both well beyond childbearing age. So what about God's promise? What did they say? This must be it, a reason. And so a little bit later we read that Abram went into Hagar, the slave woman, her servant, and she conceived, she bore Ishmael. But God remained true to his promise. We did read this earlier out of Genesis 17, verse 6. God said, I will make you, Abram, exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. He's reiterating his promise. And I will, make my, I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you. And so at the age of 90... Sarah conceived and she bore a child. And they called his name Isaac as the Lord had instructed. And so here we have two sons. But they came about in very different ways, as Paul pointed out. Uh, he said, But the son of the slave, this is back in the passage, he had said, But the son of the slave, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, you can look at the, the diagram of this passage. One of these, it's Isaac, he's, I'm sorry, Ishmael, he's on the red side. Paul had said that he was born according to the flesh. Sarah and Abraham took things into their own hands. It was a birth that, in, at least in the way that they went about it, it was of man, it was not of God. Uh, it was the very opposite of, a uh, of operating according to faith and by God's promises. Now, look with me on the other uh, side of the diagram, on the green side. Uh, it speaks about one who was free woman, the son of a free woman. This is speaking about... Uh, about Notice this was even after they had failed. Yet the Lord came to them after they had failed. Because they trusted in Him, they were already of faith. And so they continued in that, trusting in His promises. Listen to what Paul says. This is in, in Romans chapter 4, uh, verse 19. Paul's of this is, and as I read this, how different this is to operating according to the flesh. Speaking of Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. 
Remember, it was impossible. Fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. You see the difference between operating in the flesh and depending upon the promise of God? You know, faith says that we, we approach God simply trusting in His promises. As it says that, that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. That means that even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's not convenient, or it seems impossible, when God calls you to go, or to do, or to step up to, or to step down from, or to admit wrongdoing, or to press on, whatever it is, God's path, if you think about it, His path is often clear. Look at the green side there. It's, it's the straight path. You know, we're the ones who muddy it up. We're the ones who make it unclear. But if you are born of the Spirit, then you simply need to trust in God's promises. You've been transformed by the blood of Christ. Ishmael came by way of the principle, God helps those who help themselves. It's doing things our way. That's under our own control. And there is no freedom there. It's all up to us. It's up to our ability to keep the whole of the air. Isaac came by way of depending on the promises of God. That's what the Lord provides for, and that's what He calls us to. And when we do that, it is the Lord's doing. And it is the path of true freedom. Now the next principle that we, we find on the, the green side is for those who are of faith, and it's this, for those who are of faith, those born of the Spirit, you must set your eyes upon the heavenly. Now this is in verses 24 to 27. Now I'll just say as we approach this, these verses can be a challenge to understand uh, a couple of reasons for that. One, Paul uses an approach here that we rarely find the biblical authors using. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but also, in this passage, just in this, these four verses, Paul brings all these contrasts between pairs of twos. He's going to contrast two women and two covenants and two sons and two mountains and two peoples. So there are a lot of contrasts there, but I, I just want to remind you that with all of that, that what we're doing is making a very basic comparison. You'll see it represented by the red and the green. Uh, and it's a, a comparison that I think is really important that needs to be made in today's church. It's between those who focus on earthly things and those who focus and center their attention upon Things. That's the green side versus the earthly, which is the red side. Now, Paul is going to say, if you're of faith, then your eyes must be set on that which is above and not below. Now, Paul uh, describes here what he calls an allegorical interpretation. Uh, hang on one moment. You'll see that in verse 23. I'm sorry, 22. Make it 24. 
Verse 24, now, this may be interpreted allegorically, he says, these women are two covenants. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. Uh, what he means by that, and he's using this term here in a very general sense. Uh, he's speaking about using characters, using places uh, from a story to represent deeper spiritual truths. Uh, you know, I think the allegory that most of us here probably know something about would be Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, in Pilgrim's Progress, there are people such as faithful, you think of worldly wise men, and there are places, the city of destruction, Vanity Fair, all of these that are used to represent spiritual truths. Uh, and the same is true in our passage. But what Paul is doing is he's using a, a real true story, a, a true occurrence, in order to bring this out, the, the story that we've already looked at with uh, Hagar and Sarah and their sons. Look with me at verse uh, 24, uh, halfway through. Now, one, they, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai, Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Paul is saying here very simply that Hagar, that's the, the, the person in the story, represents Mount Sinai, and he's referring to the Old Covenant, which was under Moses. And that in the same way that she, Hagar, bore Ishmael into slavery, that the Israelites, under the Old Covenant, were in slavery because of the law. Think back to the Israelites. Think 40 years in the wilderness... Uh, what we see again and again and again, their sin. And we see that they were, they were concerned with outward obedience of the law rather than trusting in God's promises. It was their approach to the law. To them, the law meant slavery. It kept them in slavery. And so Paul goes on to say here that this, this slavery applies not just to, to the Israelites of old, but to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children, just like Hagar and her uh, son Ishmael, who also was a slave. You know, things, he, he's saying, hadn't changed. Uh, the same was true in, in present Jerusalem. Especially, and of course he's pointing here, to the, the people who have come amongst the Galatians, to the Judaizers. Those who are trying to put the Galatians under the law. And he's saying, these people today, these Jews, that they themselves were under slavery. Now that's, that's one people, those are red. The contrast that he made is in verse 26. You'll see that on the green side. Paul goes from speaking about Hagar and slavery to speaking about Sarah. Now he never uses Sarah's name here. She was the free woman, never a slave. And he's saying, that she represents the new covenant. And so he, he says, but one of the free woman was born through promise. Go, go further down, verse 
the Jerusalem above, he is comparing Jerusalem, present Jerusalem, and then the Jerusalem above is, and she is our mother. Now, Paul is claiming here that the Galatians and we belong to the new covenant, to the old covenant, the new covenant, which is made up of all those salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. He's saying these are the ones who have been formed. They've been freed from They are now in Jerusalem. He calls it the Jerusalem. Now notice the comparison here. It's between two cities. Two Jerusalems, in fact. Uh, one is concerned were circumcised or not. Or what food they were eating, or what ethnicity they were, or the social group that they hung out with. And you can add on to that many things. Uh, these people were concerned about the earthly things. That's what mattered for being a part of the covenant. It was the earthly Jerusalem. But the other Jerusalem is concerned with other things that are a part of the Jerusalem which is above. And Paul supports all of this in uh, in verse 27 with a reference to another Old Testament passage out of Isaiah in which he's showing a picture of earthly barrenness. He says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. You can think of Sarah who, who could not bear a child. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. He says, For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. A picture of earthly barrenness, but in God's kingdom, in trusting Him, it results in true fruitfulness. There's an earthly despair, but in God's kingdom, trusting Him results in heavenly joy. You know, Paul is telling us if you are of faith, if you are born of the Spirit, then you've got a completely different focus. Your eyes are no longer set upon earthly things. That's not where you find your hope. That's not where you find your acceptance. But now, your eyes are set upon heavenly things. And that heavenly is not just a place of the future, but the Jerusalem that is above is here and now. We are able to be citizens now. Not just of the city and the state and the country, in which we live, but we're citizens of a new city, of a new kingdom, a kingdom which is from God and which shapes the way that we live our lives, the way that we think, and it directs us in where we are. We are free in Christ. Remember in in the book of Hebrews, uh, we read earlier, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We are a new people, a transformed people, a free people. He's saying, as those who have undergone this transformation, number one, don't depend upon the things of this world anymore. Depend and don't depend upon the law. Depend upon God's promise. Secondly, set your eyes upon the heavenly, not upon the earth. And then finally, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but as those who are of the Spirit, you've got to make a choice. 
must choose to follow Christ. Now, Paul is giving here, right at the end of our passage, a summary. And really, it contains the exhortation that we might expect. That he's fallen under false teaching. That he's going to give a very practical message. He's going to say, make your choice. There are two paths. The red and the green, if you will. Choose which one to which you will belong. And of course, the exhortation here is choose freedom. Choose Christ. And all the way through, Paul has been reminding these people of who they are. And he states it clearly here in, in summary of verse 28. He says, Now you, brothers, and this is for us, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. And then he goes on to warn them that as such, as children of promise, that you're going to face persecution, just like Isaac faced persecution from Ishmael. You're going to face persecution as well. Now Paul is he's preparing them here. He's setting their expectations. But in spite of that, he's also saying, you're the recipients of God's blessings. You are of the Spirit, not of the flesh. You're not of slavery. You're of freedom. And so here in, in verse 30, he goes on to give this very practical message. Uh, he says, But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Now just to clarify, he's not going back and talking about the, the situation, not saying we shouldn't have compassion or anything like that. Remember, uh, he, he's, he's drawing this parallel that's here. And what he's making clear here is the seriousness of this error. When it comes to legalism, when it comes to doing things by works, he's saying that's a tremendous error and you can't continue forward with it. Uh, you must put it out of your life. Whatever is there, whatever is causing it to be there, you must take care of it. Uh, you must uh, cast it out, are the words that he uses. It's not just a matter of tweaking things, making correction to the, the teaching. When salvation by works is being taught, it's not a minor error. Now, Paul is not being subtle here. These teachers and their teaching must be cast out. Now, we can apply this uh, by making certain that our teaching is that of justification by faith in Christ alone, by faith alone. Within the church, that we can make sure that within our families, that that's our teaching. Uh, and as we look for the Lord to remove that legalism from our own hearts, we need to make sure that in our own lives that we have removed that, uh, that it's not part me and, and, and part God. Now, to be honest, we know it's easy to fall into this uh, because often people don't recognize it and uh, it's often taught out of a lack of knowledge, out of a lack of understanding. Uh, but often also it's because people's hearts are drawn to this. But it's essentially a choice between two different positions. 
Paul's message here is really not that different from what Joshua told to the Israelites uh, in Joshua 24. Remember he said, choose today whom you will serve. Will it be on the red side or will it be on the green side? He's, he's calling us to ask the question, who will you follow? Which will you follow? And then, of course, his encouragement all the way through is to look to the path of freedom. Uh, depend upon God's promises as you live your life. Set your eyes upon the heavenly. And then finally, make that choice. Choose to follow Christ day in and day out, no matter what. And know that that's the path of freedom. The other path is ultimately a path of slavery, even if we don't recognize it that way. But the one path, the right path, is the path of looking to the Lord, looking to Christ, looking to what He has done, and trusting in Him. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You, first of all, that You draw our attention to this. Uh, these are matters that so easily in our lives we can be unaware of that we're following a path uh, that is of the law. We don't even recognize it. Uh, so we thank You that by Your Word and by Your Spirit You open our eyes to be able to see. So we thank You for that even as we pray for Your help to look into those various corners of our lives and expose those areas. Do it within our church, Lord. Do it within our families. Expose those areas where we uphold uh, that wrong principle uh, and help us to follow that principle that says we trust in your promises. Uh, we do pray for your help uh, as we uh, continue to open up your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.